On today's This Is Believe In podcast, I am joined by Jacob Infante of Windy City Gridiron and The Draft Wire. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to you know, talk some draft here. I mean, we've known each other for a while, but I think this is the first time we've actually you know, communicated over the phone or anything like that. It is. Uh, we've gone back and forth through uh, messages and you know, just going back and forth that way. We haven't really seen or conversed over the over the I guess it's not really the phone it's Skype but we haven't well, yeah we haven't had a an actual conversation it's all been text yeah exactly yeah so I figured I'd have you on to give me your perspective since you are a draft analyst of what the Browns did um you know what you liked what you didn't like is there something that you think they completely maybe missed on or something they could have done differently uh, and of course, since you are a Bears guy, we'll definitely talk about the Bears draft and what they did and their kind of quarterback situation they found themselves into. So starting off, I figured we can talk about the Browns and their draft. Uh, what did you think of it? Uh, I'm actually a really big fan of what the Browns came away with in the draft this year. I think they uh, touched up on you know pretty much all of their big needs. Uh, they had a lot of very good value picks. Uh, a lot of, you know, I, I wouldn't say they necessarily reached for, you know, anyone. I mean, maybe you can make the argument for like one or two guys, but overall they did a, a great job of blending, you know, good value and best player available drafting with addressing needs. So I'm definitely a big fan of what they've got going on there. And given the talent that they have on paper, I mean, I know last year they, things kind of fell short of expectations. I can kind of relate to that. Uh, with the Bears this past year, but I think that on paper, the Browns have a lot of talent, and they did a really good job of uh, bulking up their roster a little bit and adding some talent in positions that were, you know, pretty big needs. So the the obvious, you know, the big highlight picks are, you know, guys like Jedrick Wills Jr. and Grant Delpit, but as we get past those first two picks, you that's where I see there could be maybe they could have addressed a different position or taken a different player. So they took Jordan Elliott at 88 after trading down. My only real gripe with that is that he's a defensive tackle, and they already have three guys that are going to be heavy in the rotation. Do you think they could have gone with a different position there? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely possible. Uh, I did like the value for Jordan Elliott there at that stage of the third round, but I agree. I mean, the Browns do have some good talent at, defensive tackle right now you know they've got Sheldon Richardson uh, and Larry Ogunjobi and if I'm not mistaken they did add Andrew Billings over uh, the free agency period as well so they've got guys there who can step in right away and contribute so I don't know if Elliott's really going to make much of an impact but I do like it as a long-term pick because you know Ogunjobi's young Richardson's been in the league for a while and Truth be told, I don't know what they have in store for Billings if they plan on giving him significant reps or inserting him into the starting lineup in the long term. But I honestly, I liked it as a long-term fit, but I'm definitely with you there uh, in terms of his immediate impact. I think that it's going to be uh, pretty difficult for Elliott to get significant playing time right away unless uh, a guy or two ahead of him in the rotation gets hurt. Yeah, and that's really my only um, issue with the pick is that they have – Positions of immediate need, there were guys on the board available that they could have taken, but they didn't. So the next, their next pick, 
uh, Jacob Phillips is a linebacker. I thought they should have gone linebacker, linebacker here. And I, I think Jacob Phillips can be good, but if they could have went, let's say, Jacob Phillips at 88, then made 97 Malik Harrison, who the Ravens took right after that, I think their defensive front would be looking a little bit, uh, a little bit more imposing. Yeah, I definitely agree. Because uh, looking at what the Browns entered the draft and what they've come away with, uh, linebackers arguably the biggest need on defense right now, maybe the biggest need on their roster right now. They don't have a lot of talent there. They've got talent up front. They've got some young guys in the secondary who should be pretty good going forward. But linebackers, a pretty big weakness for them. So I definitely wouldn't have blamed them if they doubled down on linebackers in the third round. Uh, And truth be told, I mean, Jacob Phillips is a good player. That's probably the only pick the Browns made that I have some sort of issue with simply because I do think there were some more talented linebackers still available. Uh, I was, you know, I liked Akeem Davis Gaither out of Appalachian State who went to Cincinnati. Uh, Malik Harrison out of Ohio State went the pick right after, I believe, to the Baltimore Ravens. Those are a couple guys. And, you know, looking down the line, Troy Dye uh, was selected a little bit further down by the Vikings, but he... Uh, you know, either way, if you want to consider that a reach in the third round, I thought there was a little bit better value than Phillips. Uh, and considering the fact that Phillips was the only linebacker that they added, I think they could have standed to add another guy in there as well. And Phillips is a fine player, and I'm sure he'll make an impact. But that's probably the only pick I had real issue with from a value standpoint. Yeah, and I can definitely see that. Uh, their fourth round pick. They're tight end, Harrison Bryant. I think that's a good pick, but I think there's some, I guess, other issues or other things that this kind of a ripple effect on. And if you've paid attention to my Twitter feed at any time over the past, I don't know, two weeks or so, it mainly involves David Njoku. Because they signed Austin Hooper, they drafted Harrison Bryant. I, I th- They say they want to keep Njoku. They picked up his option. But when they're bringing in two other guys, it doesn't really seem like his uh, job is all that secure, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, on the same boat with you there. I think that bringing in Austin Hooper, who is maybe, you know, a, he's a top 10 tight end in the league, in my opinion, uh, and bringing him in, bringing in Harrison Bryant, who's an athletic receiving tight end, I think that's a little bit alarming for Njoku's long-term standing with the team. I mean, like you mentioned, they did pick up the fifth-year option, so I don't know necessarily what they're planning on doing there. If they're thinking about running a little bit more 12 personnel, having you know two tight ends out there, potentially rotating Harris and Bryan in every once in a while, then I could kind of see it. Uh, but I think that Harris and Bryan, again, he's more of a long-term best player available type of pick. He's definitely not the type of guy who's going to you know, take snaps away from Austin Hooper. I think Austin Hooper's entering. He should be their number one tight end. And then you've got Najoku. Uh, Bryant might take a couple snaps from him, but I don't think he'll make much of an immediate impact in 2020. Uh, But down the line, I do think that he's a good value in the fourth round. I think that he was one of the more underrated guys in what was an overall underwhelming tight end class I think that Bryant's uh, ball skills and the athleticism he brings to stretch the field I think that he can be a solid asset maybe not a true number one tight end in the league uh, but I think he'll definitely be a good complimentary piece for them going forward 
And that's really what they need, is someone to compliment Austin Hooper. Um, I've made my feelings about David Njoku very much, very clear. I really don't think he has that much of a, a future unless he seriously uh, takes some big steps forward. Um, mostly in regards to, you know, blocking, because he's not very good at it. I, I know Harrison Bright wasn't necessarily heralded as this great blocker in college, but he was an offensive lineman in high school, so he has some of that ability there that he can kind of lean back on when asked to block. So I think there's going to be some sort of step in that direction that if Harrison Bryant's showing some of that ability that Njoku hasn't, it's going to be uh, maybe they'll trade him since they picked up his option. Cutting him wouldn't make a whole lot of sense there. It'd be kind of a, a very short-term solution to something they're trying to make a, a long-term plan for. Now, another yeah. yeah another position that they addressed was uh, their offensive line. And this was obviously a, a best player available pick, but I'm not mad about it, and that's Nick Harris. Their, uh, their center or guard, whoever that whatever position they're going to have in that. I, I think he could definitely compete for Wyatt Teller's spot up at the right guard position, but I do think there's also the potential of him being part of some sort of succession plan at center if for some reason they part ways with J.C. Treader. Yeah, I honestly really like the Nick Harris pick. I think that he's the type of guy you can put him at center. You can put him at either guard position. I mean, obviously, he's not going to, you know, replace Betonio by any means because Betonio is one of the better interior guys in the league. Uh, but you look at Wyatt Teller. I think that Harris is a guy who's going to push him, uh, like you mentioned, potentially compete with Treader uh, down the line if they want to move on from him. Uh, so I think Harris is going to be a very solid player in the league. I think that he's got a little bit of a ceiling because he's a smaller guy. He's like 6'1", 6'2", and he cracked in at the combine. is barely over 300 pounds, but he played lighter than that in uh, at Washington. So I think that size is going to limit his ceiling to some extent, but I think he's smart. I think he's technically sound. He uses his hands well, and uh, his lack of height uh, has some uh, beneficial beneficial uh, traits to it because he is able to you know stay low and maintain optimal pad level when he engages with defenders and he's a solid athlete too so I think he's the type of guy who can be a solid starter in the league you know like I said the ceiling might be a little bit capped because he's a little bit smaller he's not the most powerful guy out there but he does a lot of the little things well and I think that he can be a very good fit basically anywhere along the interior offensive line you want him to fit yeah, and let's say he even let's say his his career his uh, talent level is capped at a certain point. I mean, another small center that a lot of people praised for having a lengthy career uh, was Dominic Rayola of Alliance. He wasn't a big guy, and he was very pretty pretty steady for a long time. So if he can carve out something resembling that, I don't think there could be any complaints. Yeah, I think that with size, especially on the interior offensive line, it's something you can overcome because I've seen smaller offensive linemen dominate much bigger defensive linemen because they win with technique or they win with strength or they know necessarily how to exploit that uh, mismatch and how to use, you know, their being lower to the ground to their advantage. So I think that goes with Harris. I think that he's, you know, like his intelligence, his uh, awareness as a zone blocker and when moving around, I think he knows exactly what needs to be done in order to clear lanes as a run blocker. Uh, 
And I think he just knows how to win battles and how to make up for his lack of length. So, you know, like you said, if he can string together a long-term career uh, as at least a solid starter, he doesn't even necessarily have to be a standout along the offensive line, but just a solid starter, I think that's very good value that late. Yeah, definitely agree. Now, their final pick was one that basically just took Brown's Twitter and lit it on fire. And that would be Donovan Peoples-Jones, the wide receiver out of Michigan. Because as you are aware, many people that are Browns fans are also Buckeyes fans. So anyone who is quote-unquote shitting on the pick got accused of just having anti-Michigan bias. And I've made it known before, I don't care where they went to school, it's where they're playing on Sundays. That's if, Are they on my team? Okay, I'm going to cheer for this person. I don't care where they went to school, honestly. But Peoples-Jones, I guess sell me on him because I'm not necessarily all that, uh, let's say, uh, wasn't very high on him. Let's put it that way. I mean, that's fair. I think that people's Jones has some areas in which he can improve, but I personally think that for a six round receiver, he's going to offer a much higher ceiling than a lot of the guys that you normally get there. And I think he was, Uh, a victim of this receiver class being so deep where he's a talented guy who would arguably go much higher in most drafts. And he falls into the sixth round here. Uh, I do think that in terms of his technique as a route runner, he can improve a little bit. His uh, lateral quickness isn't all that great, but he's a bigger receiver. Uh, He's got an explosive lower body. You know, he destroyed uh, combine testing and he's also pretty fast uh, down the field and he's a physical guy too. He's able to, you know, work to box out defenders and he's able to, you know, high point the ball well in order to make adjustments. I think he's a fluid athlete. He's not necessarily a super sharp route runner yet, uh, but I think he's fluid for his size. He's able to move around across the middle of the field well. Uh, He's got good overall body control. And I think that that size, athleticism and ball skills combination, I think that can uh, make him a steal potentially in the sixth round. I was honestly surprised he fell that far. And while I understand Browns fans are, you know, worried about drafting a Michigan guy, I think that it's definitely worth it in this case because Peoples Jones, while I don't think he's going to get significant uh, playing time considering the fact that they've already got Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. there, and uh, they did bring in Taewon Taylor, so th- they've got talent there obviously, but I think Peoples-Jones is going to have some sort of role uh, in the offense, and I think that uh, he can, he's going to be very good value, I think, in the sixth round. I mean, if if he went in like the third or fourth round, then yeah, I can understand it simply because of how good the talent was uh, at the time at the receiver position, but I think that this late, you look at some of the receivers who have selected there, and I think Peoples-Jones is uh, better than most, if not all the guys who went around him in that range. So I think that's very good value. And down the line, he might not be a long-term starter with them, but I think he'll have some sort of role and he should be able to contribute to some capacity. I mean, the way I see it is uh, special teams. Be a be a return man because the Browns haven't had one since Travis Benjamin and before that it was Josh Cripps. So if he can just be their return man starting off, maybe catch the occasional pass, I think that's a good starting point. But uh, expecting anything spectacular, especially in this uh, Kevin Stefanski offense, which is going to be heavy on tight ends. It's going to be heavy on the run game. I wouldn't expect much from him. 
Am I, am I, uh, do you think I'm accurate in that evaluation? Yeah, I definitely think you're accurate with that. I think that, you know, given the scheme and given the talent around him, I don't, I think it's going to be tougher for him to make an impact on offense right away. Uh, you mentioned special teams and he was in an experienced punt returner at Michigan. I think he recovered, uh, or he returned rather two touchdowns during his collegiate career. So I think that if he can provide some of that value, I don't know necessarily, uh, what he'll bring to the table as a kick returner, uh, because he's fairly unproven there, but I think that if they want to play him there, they probably could. But I think that he can be—he's going to make an impact on special teams. I definitely agree, and I think that with his size, uh, his athleticism, considering how long and big he is, I think that he has a lot of potential on special teams as like a gunner along those lines or a returner. So I think that he'll definitely—he should definitely, in my opinion, make the roster when looking at some of the guys on the depth chart that are going to be competing for a roster spot with him. Mm-hmm. But I think that generally he'll make an impact on special teams to start. And I think that'll make him a valued member uh, of their roster, regardless of how big of an impact he makes on offense right away. Yeah. The way I look at it, um, I mentioned this on a, a previous podcast was just give me Matthew Slater from the Patriots. If you can turn into Matthew Slater, I'll be ecstatic with this pick. Yeah, I mean, I think that every team loves to have some of those guys who are rock solid on special teams all the time. I know that with the Bears, we had that with uh, Josh Bellamy for a couple of years, and then he left and signed a sizable deal with the Jets. Uh, But if you're a wide receiver and you're going to be on the bench or not projected to be a starter who plays a significant role in the offense, then it's important that you play some sort of role on special teams. And I think Peoples-Jones has that to his advantage. And I think that regardless of how well he does on offense, he's going to have a role in this organization. And I think that down the line, it could end up paying dividends for taking him in the sixth round. I definitely agree with that. You know, um, is there anything that you would have, I guess, done differently uh, approach-wise? I-, I know there was a lot of discussion about the the Browns possibly trading down from ten. Thank God they didn't. I could not have handled that on Twitter. But is there anything that, like you think they could have done approach-wise? Honestly, I think that they did a good job, all things considered. I think looking at Jedrick Wills and Grant Delpit, their first two picks, those are guys who are going to contribute right away. I'd be surprised if uh, even one of them wasn't in the starting lineup to start the year. I think that Jedrick Wills was uh, my number one tackle in the class. I think that he's great value at 10. And him and Jack Conklin, the Browns did a very good job of upgrading their talent at offensive tackle. And then with Grant Delpit, I was higher on him than most. I know some people are concerned about uh, his tackling abilities. But in my opinion, in today's pass-first league, I think coverage is more important for the safety position. And I think Delpit, given his length, his range, his intelligence and coverage – uh, his ball skills, I think that he's going to be a very valuable safety uh, dropping back in coverage for the Browns. And you take a look at some of the guys that they have in their secondary, I think that Delpit's going to complement Carl Joseph very well. And factoring in uh, Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, I think that there's a lot of upside with that secondary. And I think that it was a very good selection in the second round. I, he was personally who I wanted the Bears to take at 43 they ended up with Cole Komet, but 
also to have Grant Delpit go right after the Bears was a little bit of a heartbreaker for me. I think that was a th- those two were great moves. I think with their uh, their bench, they did a good job of adding high upside guys who can potentially uh, contribute down the line. Like we were talking about earlier, maybe bringing another linebacker. Uh, I do think Jordan Elliott was good value, but like you mentioned, then uh, they still have a pretty big weakness at linebacker. They don't really have any guys that uh, wow me right now. I know uh, we've got Mac Wilson, who I liked coming out. I didn't really follow up on him this past year. So obviously you know better than I would how he was this past season, but overall I think it's a very young and very unproven group of linebackers. So maybe bringing in another linebacker in that third round, some of the guys I mentioned like Davis Gaithier, uh, Malik Harrison, someone like that, Troy Dye maybe, uh, to for a roster spot. I think that might've been a good call, but otherwise I think the Browns did a very good job in this draft. I think that they got a lot of solid value, uh, a handful of guys who should contribute right away, whether it's, starting in the rotation or contributing on special teams. I think that they did a good job with this draft. And I think that go, you know, people tend to crap on the Browns for the past, <laughs> their past draft mistakes of which there are a lot. Infinite. But, <laughs> uh, but I, I do think uh, they did a very good job with this draft. And I think that, uh, they could be headed in the right direction. I mean, obviously a lot depends on uh, how Baker Mayfield plays. If he's able to uh, improve from last year and maybe uh, gain back those expectations that people had for him coming into last year. I think if he improves, the talent around him is impressive and should be able to compete not only for this year, but for a handful of years down the road as well. And uh, real quick on Mac Wilson, he had some he had some moments last year, but he, overall he played like a, a rookie who needs some work still. So you know, had a couple moments, needs some definitely needs some more development and more more time to grow as a player. Um, as far as Baker Mayfield's concerned, um, my concern is if the player is so reliant on having all these high quality weapons, what does that necessarily say about the quarterback? Yeah, and I. You know, I can definitely see the concern with that. I think that uh, a lot was kind of going on to a lesser extent with Mitchell Trubisky because obviously the Browns have better weapons. They've got, you know, two, you know, very talented receivers and now they've got a host of good tight ends as well. But I can kind of, you know, I see where you're coming from with that. I think that if, if Mayfield can't succeed with the talent that's around him right now, then I think it's going to be very tough for him to succeed down the line because last year you can say, oh, uh, they didn't have an offensive line. The year before that, they can say, oh, the weapons weren't you know, all that great and the offensive line was bad. So the Browns have done a very good job of surrounding him with talent and putting him in a good position to succeed. Uh, and obviously I think part of that will rely on coaching to see how Stefanski uh, translates to a head coaching role in Cleveland. But I think that if Baker Mayfield isn't able to succeed in this offense, then it's going to be tougher for him. And then Browns fans uh, might want to start looking into the future for a new quarterback. But I think that as it stands right now, they should be all right. I have faith in Mayfield. I, you know, obviously I really liked him coming out of college and I think that he's still got, you know, a good skill set and some tools to work with, but I don't know. I think the Browns did the best they could, uh, 
with surrounding him with weapons. And now it's just up to him to see if he's able to, you know, play up to those expectations that he was uh, with the first overall pick there. Yeah, the the way I see they made some of their moves this offseason, it's very... They have a fallback plan in place in case things go off the rails with Baker Mayfield this year. And it all started with that Case Keenum deal. Now, they don't want him to be a starter, but they made it a three-year deal for a reason, from my point of view. If he plays, like, really bad, like, just it does, stuff's not working, he's not able to, to perform, they have a quarterback that knows the system, who's, you know what he is, he's, when he has good players around him, he's fairly steady, he's not going to throw up eye-popping numbers, but he's not going to, you know, be Johnny Manziel out there either. So if for some reason things don't work out, they may end up doing uh, <clears throat> using him as the bridge quarterback till they have to draft another one two years from now. But that's only if in the worst-case scenario. Yeah, I mean, you brought up that Keenum's on the three-year deal there. That's a little bit rare uh, for veteran quarterbacks that are normally brought in as backups. Usually... That's a lot. You see a lot of one-year deals with guys like that. So bringing him in on, in on a three-year deal, I agree, is telling of what their situation is going forward, and they can view him as a potential bridge guy for if uh, things go haywire and Mayfield doesn't uh, live up to expectations. So I think that Keenan was a really good addition uh, to the locker room and to their uh, roster. I mean, we'll see how him and Mayfield uh, work together and see if Keenum's able to help him kind of grow as a player, bringing him in as somewhat of a quarterback's coach because he's been around the league long enough where he's, you know, a pretty smart guy. Uh, So I think that having a figure like that in the locker room and working alongside him, I think that that could help Mayfield. So I was a big fan with that. So with that signing there, I think that he can be a valuable a backup, a valuable mentor, and potentially a bridge quarterback down the line if all things go wrong. Definitely have to agree with that. Now, let's talk Bears draft. You're a Bears guy. Uh, Didn't have a first-round pick again. (laughs) Uh, So they had to kind of work with what they had. Uh, You know, a couple second-rounders, three fifth-rounders, yep, three fifth-rounders and two seventh-rounders. How did the Bears do in your eyes? I think that all things considered, given their situation where they don't have a pick in rounds one, three, or four, uh, the Bears did a good job, I think, for the most part. I wasn't totally sold on the Cole Komet pick. I think that that, you know, at the time I thought that could have been used at a safety because the Bears at the time had a need at safety, and they, uh, I really liked the talent that was available. I really liked Delpit. I loved Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, so when they take a tight end, someone who I didn't even have is my tight end one. I had Bryson Hopkins tight end one, which I know is, you know, pretty unpopular, but I, I liked Komet. I didn't love him. I didn't love the pick at the time, uh, but that addressed the need. It gave this offense, a, you know, a long potential long-term answer at tight end, which they've lacked for a long time. Uh, so I think that that's a, a decent pick, all things considered. I think he's still a work in progress and probably won't contribute that much going uh, into his rookie season. But long term, if all things go well, he should be a you know quality starter. I was a huge fan of Jalen Johnson with that other second round pick. I think that if he didn't 
have those shoulder issues. He very well could have been a first round pick. I think that he's a perfect compliment to Kyle Fuller, uh, given his length, his aggressiveness, his fluidity, his uh, intelligence and ball skills. I think that for the most part, he's a pretty uh, well-rounded total package at cornerback. So I think it's a very good value. I think that going forward, I mean, he's only 20 years old and he's already a polished prospect for the most part. So I think that that was a very good pick. If the shoulder checks out, I think he can be a long-term starter and potentially develop into a pro bowler. That's how highly I think of him. Uh, and I think that was a very good fit and a very good pick at a desperate need. And with the fifth round, they had three picks. I really like Travis Gibson because the Bears needed uh, depth after Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn off the edge. And I think Gibson was a guy I was high on for a while. I loved his athleticism and the physical tools he has to work with. Kendall Vilder, I wasn't necessarily as high on, but I really like his fit from a schematic standpoint. Uh, given his aggressiveness, uh, I, I translate well to the nickel, even though he played outside of Georgia Southern. I think that he's you know, a bit of that buster screen mold where he's a scrappy nickel corner. I think that uh, going forward, he can develop into a starter once screen leaves in probably a year or two now. Uh, and then Darnell Mooney was another one I really liked. That was a, I was a big fan of that pick. The Bears needed you know, speed at the wide receiver position, and I think that they added exactly that with Mooney, uh, who actually, believe it or not, reminded me a lot of Taylor Gabriel in the pre-draft process, the guy that he could potentially be replacing in that role uh, with his you know, smaller frame, but he's you know, very uh, freakishly athletic. He's elusive, and he's able to you know, go up and grab those jump balls. So I was a fan of those, uh, with the, uh, the fifth-round selections. And then with those seventh-rounders, I admittedly didn't know a lot about them. They took two offensive linemen, Arlington Hambright from Colorado and Lachavius Simmons from Middle Tennessee State. So I didn't know much, if anything, about those guys heading into the draft, but I've done some uh, a little bit of research on those guys afterwards, and I think that they're good long-term developmental picks. I'm a very big fan of drafting one offensive lineman in every draft uh, I personally think that you can't have enough depth along the offensive line, especially considering the need for it in today's NFL. I think that if you have the opportunity, even in the late rounds, to get a developmental guy, you go for it. Uh, Hambright's an athletic tackle type who could also swing into guard, and Simmons is a you know powerful, nasty guy who's got versatility at four out of five offensive line positions. So all things considered, I'm a fan of what the Bears came away with. Obviously, they weren't going to have a stellar haul because of their lack of uh, high-end draft capital, but I think that they did a very good job, you know, working with the cards that they were dealt, or the hand that they were dealt, rather. That's the, you know, that's what I was looking forward to say there. Uh, But I think the Bears did a good job. They blended immediate need with long-term fit, and I think overall, I'm pretty pleased with what they came away with in the draft this season. Yeah, they had the very... Very uh, limited draft capital, or you know, limited draft assets they could get with, you know, or high end ones, and it seems like they're they made it work with what they had. And you know, when you have, when you don't have a first or a third or a fourth, it's kind of what you have to do. And it seems like that's what they did. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they kind of showed that Ryan Pace uh, style of aggressive draft. Uh, 
approach where he, uh, excuse me, he, uh, he traded up into the fifth round twice. He moved from the sixth round into the fifth round to select Darnell Mooney, and he gave up a future fourth round pick in 2021 to select Travis Gibson early in the fifth. So I think that he was able to show a little bit of, you know, that aggressive trading up style that he's been come to known for in Chicago. If he sees a guy, he goes up and gets it. But he also did so without mortgaging significant draft capital. I think the fact that Pace was able to, you know, keep his cool enough to not trade any of the Bears picks in the first three rounds of the 2021 draft is a win in my eyes. Uh, And not trading up in the second round, I think, was fantastic. There were some rumors that he potentially move into the back end of the first round. And I was uh, scared to death of that because I really didn't like giving up much draft capital considering they didn't really have a lot to begin with. Uh, But they kept their high-end draft capital for 2021. They stayed put in the second round and ended up with two guys that they feel fit their system very well. So overall, I'm pleased with how things turned out. And like you said, all things considered – with a lack of premier draft capital, I think they got some guys who should play some sort of role in their system going forward. I absolutely have to agree with you there. And little side note, you mentioned two players, Buster Screen, Taylor Gabriel. Love them both when they played for the Browns. Took a little side side trip, ended up in Chicago at some point. But two guys I really liked while they were in Cleveland. Yeah, and I remember... Uh, a handful of years back from what I can recall screen was a solid cornerback for you guys. And I know Gabriel uh, played in Cleveland for a little while before he took off in Atlanta. So that's, you know, definitely cool. I think that there's some sort of, you know, connection there. I know you guys had a uh, Eric Cush, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember exactly if he's still there right now, but I know that he, uh, he signed with you guys after he left Chicago. I don't know how that turned out for you guys. But, Eric Kush uh, did not play well, which is uh, <laughs> which is why he is now in Las Vegas. Uh, we also, I believe, we got a different one of your uh, offensive linemen last year too. Um, and that sounds right. I I don't remember exactly who it was. I'd have to think. Uh, uh, was it Kalis? No. Maybe. Wait, say that again. Kalis. Uh, no. Uh, geez, I don't know. I, I, I know you're right about that. Cause I, I remember it, one of our guys coming over to Cleveland. I don't remember exactly who that was though. Did Ted Larson sign with you guys at any point? Ted Larson? No. Uh, I'm scrolling through last year's roster right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> let's see. Eric Kush. Maybe it was just like an off season signing. Of somebody. Oh, gotcha. Uh, oh, and I just realized another former Brown that we have, uh, Barkevius Mingo. Barkevius Mingo's had a he's had an interesting career because he was a he was a high draft pick, and things didn't work out well when he was being uh, asked upon to be a, a full time player, full time starter. He found some traction in New England, turned into to something. It seems like he has a very defined role if you use him properly, and essentially that that role is to just be an edge rusher. Don't ask him to be in coverage. <laughs> Don't ask him to do things that you know he can't do. If they if they want him to just rush the passer, Barkevis Mingo will excel in that area. 
Yeah, and I think that all things considered as a backup option, I was a fan of the signing simply because uh, his athletic profile, and I think he offers uh, value on special teams too. Uh, and I think that the Bears have done a good job of bringing in backups who have experience or have potential to grow on special teams. And I think Mingo's another one of those guys who can grow into that role. And especially considering, like I mentioned earlier, they were weak outside of their starting lineup at edge rusher. So bringing in Mingo, bringing in Travis Gibson, I think that they did a very good job of bringing in some talented guys who can rush the passer and give uh, Robert Quinn or Khalil Mack a break every once in a little while and potentially step into a starting role if, God forbid, one of them get hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Just a, you know, a very very limited role for Mingo. It's all you need from him, and he will do. He will play at a if he's put in the, in the proper role. He will he will do exactly what you know he's good at, and that's rushing the yeah. passer. Uh, exactly. Now we were recording on Saturday, and there was some news involving uh, <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky and his fifth year option being declined. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think that that was the right call on Chicago's part. I think that Trubisky obviously hasn't lived up to the expectations they had for him. Uh, And I think that bringing in Nick Foles, the writing's kind of on the wall for him there. They're bringing in legitimate competition, and that starting spot at quarterback is not safe by any means. I mean, they've done uh, the past two years, I believe. They declined Kyle Fuller's fifth-year option. He balled out and they re-signed him with Leonard Floyd. He's been a little bit disappointing. They picked up the option and before he could ever play on that fifth year option, uh, he got traded. He got released, excuse me. Uh, so with Trubisky, I don't know necessarily what is going to happen with him in terms of his long-term, uh, fit where he goes. I just don't think that he's going to be in Chicago much longer. I mean, obviously there's a chance that that might change, uh, and if he somehow has a very good year this year, then they could sign him to a cheaper contract than most quarterbacks are re-signed to uh, at that age. But honestly, I think that Trubisky could be out of Chicago come uh, once the 2020 season comes to an end. So I think that was the right call, not picking the option up. I think that at this stage, paying him that much money for the level of production that he's been giving that would have been insane. So I think that they made the right call. Yeah, and it, it really felt like this was a long time coming since they, you know, acquired Nick Foles. And, you know, admittedly, I was someone who's wanted to see Mitch Trubisky succeed, but obviously he is not. And that's why they went out and got Foles. So Foles is there, and it's he's, he's there to uh, essentially compete with Trubisky for that starting job. At least that's how I see it from, you know, an outsider's perspective here. And there's only so much, I guess, Trubisky can give you as a quarterback. Well, we've seen Foles have his high moments, including winning a Super Bowl. So I do think that uh, Trubisky's time in Chicago could be limited or, you know, counting down. Yeah, I honestly think that Nick Foles, I, I was admittedly upset with the trade at first because I didn't like the idea of you know actually giving up draft capital to select a guy coming off of an injury uh, who's got a bad contract thankfully Jacksonville ate a lot of that for Chicago so they ended up with you know significantly cheaper deal 
And looking at it now, given the whole, you know, climate of what's going on with the, you know, COVID-19 outbreak, I think that Foles was the perfect addition from a schematic standpoint because he's played under basically everyone in the Bears uh, coaching staff because he was with uh, Matt Nagy with the Chiefs for a little bit when he had a cup of coffee there. Uh, He played under Bill Lazor in Philadelphia, John DeFilippo uh, in Philadelphia as well. That's our offensive coordinator and uh, quarterbacks coach, respectively. So he's had experience with those guys, and bringing him into that system I think is very uh, valuable considering the fact that they won't be able to have in-person workouts and training for a while. So having a guy who already knows the system uh, shows that they have someone who's willing to and able to step in right away and take over the reins as the starter if necessary. So I think that while Foles isn't going to have the upside of, you know, a Cam Newton who is, you know, someone that I would have loved to see in Chicago, uh, but Foles does know the system better. Uh, He's a much safer option than uh, Cam Newton or even maybe an Andy Dalton who has experience under Bill Lazor when they, work together in Cincinnati. Uh, but I mean, all things considered, I think that waiting this long to uh, add the quarterback and then, you know, considering that Dalton got cut recently, I think that, you know, getting Foles right away, if that was their guy, then that's a pretty, you know, good move, all things considered. But I think that Foles is going to push Trubisky. I think that they're going to give Trubisky a chance to at least defend that starting quarterback role. I think he'll start off as the starter, barring some sort of uh, training camp collapse and Foles completely balls out. I think that Trubisky will start off with the starting position, but I would not be surprised at all if Foles is the one who finishes the year as the starter. Now, how different are the offenses going to be under the different quarterbacks? Trubisky is not the the best passer, and he has the ability to make some plays with his legs, something that I've wanted the Bears to do a lot last year. If you were paying attention while I, was watch- while I was tweeting during his Bears games, I'm like, why isn't Trubisky running more? Why isn't he running more? Why isn't he? I was like a broken record just saying run the ball more because it at least gives them the threat that he could actually do something. It might open up some opportunities in the passing game. But Foles, he, he's mobile but he's a little bit more of a polished passer than Trubisky. Is the offense is really going to differ that much versus what they're going to do with Trubisky versus what, or what they should do with Trubisky and what they're going to do with Foles? I think there should be some sort of difference. I won't necessarily say it'll be a huge one because like you mentioned, Trubisky is more athletic than Foles is. And while Trubisky didn't necessarily get much of a chance to showcase his athleticism too much last year, I think that uh, Foles is more intelligent than Trubisky in terms of reading a defense and making the right read. I also think he's more accurate down the field. So a lot of people realize that the Bears' offense was very predictable. It consisted a lot of you know short check-down dump-off passes simply because they didn't trust Trubisky enough to make down-the-field reads. And I think that, you know, sure – some of the blame goes to Nagy, but you have to realize that he's working with a quarterback who has, you know, shown very little progression in terms of his ability to read a defense, to look past his first read and to not panic under any side of possible pressure 
in a collapsing pocket. So I think that having Foles, having a guy who's comfortable in the pocket, who can move around well, someone who isn't will, uh, who isn't afraid to take the deep shot like arguably Trubisky is, I think that, that could open a lot of things up. I think that, if anything, while Trubisky has the better physical tools, he arguably has the stronger arm and he's more athletic, I think that Foles is a better fit for the system given that he's uh, – uh, he's he's a bit of a game manager quarterback. That's how I'll label him. Uh, but I think that given what the Bears' offensive scheme needs, I think that's definitely you know more than enough for them to potentially make a playoff run given the roster that they have. And I'm not saying that they will make the playoffs because there's going to be a lot of competition in the NFC. But with the talent they have on their roster, all they need is average quarterback play to make the playoffs, in my opinion. If Foles can be average, which I think Foles being average is a much better bet than Trubisky being average at this stage, then I think the Bears could be able to bounce back a little bit uh, compared to their downhill season in 2019. I I definitely agree with that. And ideally, uh, Trubisky would be what Nick Foles is now. But, I mean, we haven't really, like you said, seen that progression and development in him as a quarterback and, by the way, found the other Bears lineman the Browns signed. It was Brian Witzman. He was, Ooh, well, yeah. he was released uh, before the season started. So he didn't, he wasn't showing up on their initial roster. I had to do a little bit of a, a deep dive to figure out who it was. He also went to Miami, then Carolina last year, and he's currently a free agent. But Brian oh, Witzman yeah. was the other guy. The, they signed both of the two guys splitting that position, <laughs> figuring one yeah. of them's got to be able to do good at it. Yeah, exactly. I remember Whitman played a little bit uh, for Chicago a couple of years ago. He was he was all right, uh, if I'm not mistaken. He got a decent enough contract considering his you know resume was mostly just as a backup lineman at that time. He was all right with us. I mean, he wasn't obviously a world beater at offensive line, but he was a you know versatile and serviceable backup. So, I mean, all things considered. I guess that we got a little bit, you know, more of the uh, end of the stick than you guys did with uh, Witzman's performance overall, I guess. I mean, they ended up getting Wyatt Teller anyways, so it's not like, uh, uh, you know, Witzman or or Cush weren't necessarily long for the Browns roster. Yeah. Um, I think that's a a good place to to wrap it up there with uh, Browns preseason legend, Brian Witzman. <laughs> so, Can't get any better than that. No. Um, uh, so thanks for coming on. This is a fun conversation. And I'm Absolutely. sure I will bring you on later this year, you know, when football comes back up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It was nice to, you know, talk draft with you and to actually, you know, talk with you. So that was, you know, that's been fun considering our, you know, history together. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'm glad that you were able to make some time in your schedule. I don't know how busy it is, but to able to come join me for, you know, about 45, 50 minutes. Yeah, and truth be told, I'm not really doing much of anything right now because uh, <laughs> the draft is over. Uh, so at this stage, I don't I'm not in the peak of my uh, hardworking tape grinding right now. If I'm doing, you know, 2021 stuff, it's very leisurely. It's very slow. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is a perfect time for me to, 
you know, do, you know, podcasts, especially like this one, because I don't have a ton going on and I still, you know, love the opportunities that I get to, you know, talk football and just talk draft in general. Well, if anything major comes up, you know, Browns-wise or Bears-wise, I will definitely reach out to you and I'll bring you back on. Absolutely. That sounds like a plan.